Welcome to the Mind Money Spectrum Podcast, where your hosts, Aaron Ogti and Trishal Patel, go beyond traditional finance questions to help you explore how to use your money to achieve the freedom you want in life. Hi, my name is Aaron Ogti. I'm a financial advisor in the Bay Area, and I'm here with Trishal Patel, a wealth manager on the East Coast. Hey, Aaron, great to be here today, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Great to be here as well. So one of the things that's been coming up in the news recently is inflation. Uh, 2021 had inflation of 7% and gas prices have been going up. So uh, this is just kind of the financial or economic topic du jour. And one of the things that just pointed out, it's like, well, it's actually really recent. It's kind of the reason it's news is because we've been going multiple decades with deflation and actually so the, that was the first comment it's like one i don't know if it's deflation or just lower inflation so we're gonna try to talk about that a little bit but also that kind of giving a little bit of history and backstory about the putting the recent news in context for both the last couple decades but even economic history that we have so Trisha, let's start let's go back to like that that conversation of trying to distinguish lower inflation versus deflation because i thought deflation actually meant like prices going down as opposed to inflation going down but inflation is still being positive does that make sense yeah, so yeah, let, let's just get some terminology out of the way as as like a foundation. <clears throat> so in let's start with inflation. That's that's the one that comes up a lot more often. And you know, by definition, that's the decline in purchasing power of a currency over time. So what that means is typically this is done by looking at a basket of goods and seeing how much can they purchase in one year, for example, versus how much can how much does it cost to purchase that same basket of goods in the following year? Mm-hmm. And there are many different rules that are used to come up with this basket of goods. And they're all not perfect because they all have little subtle issues. I think we covered some of that in our inflation episode not too long ago. We'll put that in the show notes. But the, the idea there is, let's say this basket of goods, which includes common items that people need to spend their money on cost $100 today. And let's say it costs that same basket costs $102 tomorrow, or sorry, one year from now. Well, that's a 2% inflation rate. Yeah, so I want to buy a gallon of milk and the gallon of milk costs a quarter more. It's the same gallon of milk that is inflation. Right. So to contrast that with deflation, it would just be, for example, if that basket of goods, instead of costing $100 next year, from this year, it costs $98. So now your $100 actually goes a bit further. You can buy um, that full basket of goods and a bit more for the same $100. That's what deflation would be. Okay. Okay. So, so you, so it's inflation isn't, Prices going up because of inflation is like the almost think about a 
backwards. It's the purchasing power is reduced. And therefore, you have to spend more money to buy the same thing. Right. Okay. So, yeah, with inflation over many long periods, if you look back over long histories, it's been like close to 2 to 3% a year. Meaning each year, you know, roughly around that amount, prices go up. And that, that's been kind of true since, um, you know, like the 80s until now. So that, it's almost a good 40-year run. But there have been pockets of higher inflation over that period where, um, for example, last year we topped out at like 7%. I, I think it started hitting those numbers or even much higher. We discussed in the inflation episode in the early 80s, late 70s. So, uh, yep. Yeah, okay. Okay, so uh, we had the higher inflation in the 70s, and, but since the roughly late 80s, we've been running about 2-3% per year. Yeah, that's right. And perhaps this is under the guidance of the Fed. You know, one of their high level mandates is to keep prices under control and keep employment high or unemployment low. Mm -hmm. And maybe they've done a good job at that because, again, it's been pretty much a generation where we've had prices just going up steadily, slightly. And the notion is a slight amount of inflation in a given year, if it's, you know, slow and steady like that, kind of predictable, is not such a horrible thing. Um, businesses can adapt to it easily. They kind of understand what's going on. And hopefully um, wages can kind of keep up with inflation. And um, hopefully things work out kind of well over time. Now that, you know, that's the idealization. And in that episode of inflation, we noticed a lot of issues with that. For example, over this last generation, uh, the key thing that stands out is there have been three key areas that we all care about, or mo- many of us care about, that have been going up in um, price well beyond that level of inflation of 2 to 3%. And that's, you know, housing and um also healthcare and education costs they've been like around like four percent which compounds pretty incredibly meaning that the price of these three instead of compromising maybe um you know like 30 percent of a household's budget budget a generation ago and now it's close to 60 percent. so not not as ideal okay so here's a question kind of out of left field for you is inflation tied to economic growth i i I do have a rough idea that's tied to population growth um just as there's more people kind of all trying to buy the same things if the if everyone buys same amount of milk like on a per capita basis and the population goes up then milk becomes just slightly less scarce slightly more scarce and so it goes up so either we need to produce more milk or uh, if we have a constant amount of milk from one year to the next then prices go up because there's a little bit more demand i'm not i think so i think population is part of it but i'm curious if economic growth is also tied to that it is so economics would probably break this down into three core areas that the the root is essentially there's um, more money circulating 
right? So if a, if a government prints more money and there's more money around, then that value of that money will go down. However, as far as the actual mechanics that are going on, economists will probably say that there's a few things. So the first thing is something called demand pull inflation. And this occurs when there's an increase in the supply of money and credit, and it stimulates the overall demand for goods and services in the economy, which causes um, that demand to increase more rapidly than the economy's production. So um, people have more money, they demand more, but the supply doesn't catch up. So people are willing to pay more for the same things. You know, that this might be tied to, for example, what we saw last year, some people have been saying those stimulus checks, right? Everybody has mm -hmm. these extra checks, they've been stuck at home, they're like, hey, I need to remodel yesterday, because I'm stuck at home, let's all go out and buy lumber, right? You know, something like yeah. that. Where now, <laughs> there's more money, it, you know, where'd that government get the money? Well, they printed it, right? <laughs> so, yeah. and now everybody has this money. And but production hasn't ramped up because, frankly, um, companies cut back on production during the pandemic because they all thought nobody's going to do anything. And yeah, yeah, turns out that was the wrong decision, which doubly compounded the problem. So, you know, demand pull inflation is one of the legs. The other leg is something known as cost push inflation. And that's the result of the increases in prices working through the production process, you know, the inputs, for example, costs increase, right? And that means companies need to charge more. And it, it just kind of um, it goes through the economy through that through the supply chain. So th that can also lead to a sense of inflation. And there's many notions that we've experienced that as well. So these developments lead to higher costs for printed products, and that gets passed on to the consumer with rising prices. For example, you know, when there's more money supply, that might lead to, um, like, for example, what we what we've seen maybe recently is it might create a spe speculative boom in oil prices. You know, the cost of energy of all sorts of uses can rise. And that can contribute to rising consumer prices because a lot of things depend on, for example, oral as an input. And then, you know, the third probably leg of, of this inflation stool is something known as built-in inflation. And that's related to this varying adaptiveness of expectations and the idea that people expect current inflation rates to continue into the future as we've noticed for example that over the last generation or so there's been this notion of a built-in inflation of two to three percent and everybody kind of compensates for this with the notion that wages will go up by a little bit prices of goods will go up by a little bit and it all kind of works in synchronous so that hopefully everything's about the same on a real basis after you account for inflation. So that's, you know, across these three drivers, that that's probably what we've seen on the inflation side of things. Okay. So, okay. So I, I, I now want to kind of get to trying to understand how those things that drive inflation would result in deflation. But if you want to finish up your thought first, you can do that. 
No, I, I'm happy to. This is probably a good segue to, to the deflation side of things because there there's similar considerations to take into issue there and similar parallels. So deflation, again, at its core is a contraction in the supply of money and credit. So, however, again, there can be different root causes that, um, that lead to this. And the situations that tend to come up, for example, that we've seen over the last generation is prices can fall due to increased productivity and technological improvements. So it's interesting because, for example, we noticed that the CPI is 2 to 3%. However, there have been these core areas of spending like healthcare costs and education costs and housing costs that have gone up above CPI. Well, there, there have been many things that have come down in price over the last generation due to the increases in technology. You know, the, obviously, the big thing is computing power. We all know that um, the price of computers has fallen dramatically. You know, with Moore's law and all that. Which may, is that still going on? I'm, I haven't heard about that for a bit, but uh, I I think so. Um, I I think it might. Last time I heard is so this is the one that like uh every like two years or eighteen to twenty four months like computing power for the same cost doubles or something something like that, right? Yeah, I, I think specifically it had to do with the, the number of transistors that they can pack into uh, a CPU, something like that, would double yeah, like every 18 months. Keep putting them closer and closer together right. as technology improved. Yeah. And but I, th- I think we're, so again, I'm, I'm not even close to being an engineer, but uh, I think the physical space is kind of no longer the limiting factor like like but we're we're starting to get into like quantum computing a little bit of like it's no longer just like literally printing them closer and closer together it's the way they start to interact has has started to improve i i that's a horrible explanation. I apologize, but I I think it's I think Moore's law still kind of holds, but for a different reason. Is, is my guess. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I don't I don't I don't know if the horse is already dead, but I'll, I'll try to beat him a little bit more. <laughs> but uh, I think so, hold on, wait, real quick, real quick. <laughs> I just googled Moore's law, and the first Google suggestion is. Moore's law is dead. Okay. <laughs> I, Sorry, yeah, go yeah. ahead. Be, beat well, the dead I, horse. I, right. My high-level understanding is um, the transistors were getting so small that we're approaching like the, the atomic limit, you know, the size of like mm-hmm. handfuls of atoms, and there's only so much you can go. Yeah. And um, beyond that, I, I think the the understanding is, well, okay, instead of getting smaller and smaller how about you know two layers of transistors and three layers and okay you can have just a cube as your cpu that's full of transistors and instead of having one cpu let's have eight cpus right or 16 cores or so yeah and branching yeah. out into sub cores like every little thing gets its own cpu like my mouse gets its own cpu and the keyboard and my pencil and whatnot so there, there's various ways to branch out and then yeah, you, you have this whole quantum 
computing notion, which is just a completely different take on computing, which increases. Well, but I think it was, this, it was that same idea that you mentioned, like just that they're, they're getting close to the atomic level. And so if you could make something as small as an atom, but you put it one atom away and like, that, that's what I say. Yeah, it, it's. Oh, okay. You know what? I, I think we got to move on. <laughs> Computers that. are cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> TVs are cheaper. Uh, t- uh, TV, like, if you compare the the, so this is a good, good kind of transition. To one of my comments on, on this, and and this is a great comment of like what you mentioned about the, as technology improves. If you just look at the size of the TV twenty years ago versus the size of the TV now, uh the same technology is significantly cheaper. And that's why we start it's easier to get bigger and bigger TVs. But if you actually looked at like nominal dollars, uh, TVs, like big TVs still feel expensive compared to big TVs 20 years ago. But it's in part because the technology in the TV has improved dramatically. You now have a flat TV that fits on your wall instead of a big box that takes up a certain amount of cubic feet in your room. You also have a TV that's connected to the internet when that technology didn't exist 20 years ago. And so this is kind of one of the things that I try to distinguish when it comes to things like inflation, deflation, and technology, the cost of the technology X number of years ago is now cheaper. This it, so is like, that has definitely uh, seen a deflationary effect. Just technology has improved. It doesn't cost as much to make the same thing. But the price of the product may be similar or even going up because the value you're receiving from that TV has improved. There's many more benefits that your TV can do to provide for your life, both frees up floor space. Uh, it can actually uh, fit on your wall, like, it, both a little bigger. The picture is better. You have the high-def TVs. You have 4K TVs. Um so the picture quality is better. You can have the smart TVs that are internet connected. So all of these things are improvements in your life. And that has led to prices going up. And so in general, with TVs, like you probably see prices still come down. Like deflation of the, like the cost of the technology is probably still outweighing the improvements in value receiving the benefits. Uh, so we probably still see t- cost of TV coming down. Cars are a good example where prices of cars have gone up, but again, it's not necessarily because of inflation, sort of. It's more the same technology that has made computing power and TVs cheaper has made the same type of car you wanted to get 20 years ago significantly cheaper. But there's so much more technology in newer, newer cars that the value receiving has gone up. So yes, you could, even a brand new car off the lot, if it matched the 
something 20 years ago would be significantly cheaper because the car, the new car in, with today's technology has Bluetooth and has uh, kind of the smart all-wheel drive, which turns all-wheel drive on and off depending on the traction of the wheels and has the backup camera and has all of these additional safety features that cars just, the technology just didn't exist 20 years ago. And so that's one of the things I like to try to keep track of is technology has made things cheaper. Uh, there's a lot of things where prices have genuinely gone down. But there's other things where even though the price of the technology has led, or the tech, uh, improvements in technology has led prices to go down, there's also value increases that have gone up also from advancements in technology. And so we don't see prices of cars going up because of inflation, we see prices of cars going up because you're getting more out of the car. Does that does that distinction make sense? Yeah, it, it does. I, I actually have two pretty good examples of that because 20 years ago, um, 2002, I had like, you know, one of my first summer jobs. And over that summer, basically t 2002, this was when those plasma TVs, this is before the, the LCD TVs or the, the new uh, liquid crystal TVs, right, yep. came out. So the, the plasma TVs were, were the, the big thing then. And the larger sizes were the 42 inches, but they, they were, you know, these flatter screens. They were still pretty big and bulky. But I, I remember thinking uh, um, one of my goals for the summer was to, to get one of these plasma TVs because um, I remember I, I would be able to like save up $3,000 over the summer from my summer job to, to afford one of them. And the price of one of these TVs, the average price, the common price that you saw was $3,000 for a 42 inch plasma. And then, um, so I, I just did a quick Google search today. Um, I just typed right now, frankly, into shopping and did 42, 42 inch, inch plasma. Yeah. Or not plasma. Just could TV. you even buy, could you even find a plasma? I doubt it. So, yeah. so this is to your point, today's version of a 42 inch, which has a lot more bells and whistles. And, um, the first price I see is 220 bucks. Does the $220 TV, is that, is that Wi-Fi enabled still just out of curiosity? It, it's all of it. It's a LED <laughs> Roku smart TV, 1080p, 42 inch. It's a no name brand, but if you want a brand like, um, what was the first brand name? Is LG a, a good brand? Yeah, sure. Or LG, Vizio, Samsung, Vizio. Vizio. Okay, so the Vizio is two hundred thirty bucks. So if you want, the, <laughs> <laughs> if you want the brand, it'll cost you your 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 Big Mac um, and fries. But hopefully, it'll be worth it. So yeah, geez, look at that. That that's basically the taxes you would have paid on the TV in yeah. two thousand and two would buy you the new TV today, plus all the crazy bells and whistles that you get with the new TV today. So now I'm curious, what can a what can three thousand dollars? So, do you have a, you have some time frame? Uh huh. Uh, when when was the, when were you trying to get that? When was it, that job in college? Yeah, it was the summer of two thousand and two, so the twenty years ago. Okay, so if we assume uh, three percent inflation over twenty years, three thousand dollars is fifty four hundred dollars today. So you <laughs> uh, also assuming that your summer job 
wages have increased with inflation sure. over the same 20 years, which okay. we discussed in the past. Not a safe assumption, but for that. Right. So I'm curious, what kind of TV can you get for $5,400? Okay. I guess I got to sort this from max to... <laughs> The, the crazy part is the price range, the buckets, um, you know, has between 100 to 200, 200 to 290. And then it's like over 440 is its own bucket. I don't know if there's a, all right, I'm just going to type TV. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm on Best Buy looking at TVs for 3000 and up. Uh, I don't know if they actually have a TV over 5000 Oh, okay. There's, there's one. I'll get to that in a second. But a $5,000 TV. 85 inch Bravia 4K UHD smart Google TV with the 7.1.2 channel soundbar with wireless subwoofer. Right. It's like they got to keep throwing stuff in to support that, that I mean, price. At, at some point, they just can't jam enough into the TV. So they just yeah. start putting like diamonds on it or something. Just Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're. All, all things in this price range are the uh, 85 inches. So right. you, uh, you wanted a 42-inch plasma. Right. And, and by the way, you can get a, an 85-inch plasma for 1500 if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the, the rest is just because you have too much money and you need to put it somewhere. I, I, you know what? I'm sure there are people who can tell the difference and appreciate the difference uh, in like picture quality. Um, so, right. <laughs> well, it's like, no, like uh, I know audio files. Like I know um, one of my clients, he does uh, like audio production kind of on the side of the hobby. And he really pays attention to sound quality. Um, and like he, th those things matter to him. So like he has different headphones for listening to different things. Um, and he has done like setting up the recordings for his church where he sets up the microphones in different locations for different sound quality recordings. So like, I know there are people that those things really matter. So I'm sure there are people that the, Picture quality matters. Now, I would not be surprised if LG and Sony are making more TVs than the people who actually care about the picture quality. And they're getting others to buy it because it's more expensive. And I'm sure that's the way their business works. But I don't automatically ascribe, oh, this is too, this is too expensive. It's for people who have money to waste. I tend to give people the benefit, benefit of the doubt. I, I guess there has to be a reason. Like, I guess the saying goes, for example, there's a price for everything. Well, like the flip side is there's somebody for every price. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. I like that. Okay. Okay. So th this is a really good point. Like just technology is just a huge factor when it comes to inflation and deflation. That... It leads to prices going down, but also increases the value you receive for things where prices are going up. Yeah. Well, like, okay. So the second example is the car thing. So also around that time, I was, you know, kind of in the market for a car. 
And I, I did a, a quick pull up here. For example, a $20,000 car in 2002 would cost, for this is for a new car, this is based on the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics, the prices of new cars in 20, 2002, 20 years ago. Um, let's say you spend $20,000 on that car. Well, if you adjust that for the inflation in car prices from then until now, the price of a new car today would be 24000 So to your point, um, that's been going up about less than a percent a year in price. You know, that is inflation mm -hmm. in mathematical terms. But in reality, there's a big difference between a car 20 years ago versus that's new off the lot versus a new car today. There's a lot more bells and whistles that you get in a new car today. And there's a lot of standard safety equipment that you get in a new car today that wasn't available back then. Yeah, and so again, adjusting the money, the twenty thousand dollars you could have used to buy that car, if it grew with inflation over twenty years, would be thirty six thousand dollars. Yeah. So that that's, I think that's the, that's the kind of the, the weird thing we were talking about earlier of the price of the car has gone up, but it's gone up less than the global average, and it, yeah, that's why that's why a good a good thing to keep in mind, um, CPI is an average of a basket of goods. It's an average of several things. But inflation and deflation tend to affect specific things differently. And so you can have certain things going up greater than inflation, certain things going down, suffering deflation, and our average ends up being CPI, what we think of as normal inflation. And so that's... That's, I think that's one really good point. It's like most of the time we think about the money as long as it grows with inflation. And again, not a safe subject, wages grow with inflation, then you're kind of maintaining the same lifestyle. All the things that you buy now as a percentage of your income cost the same as a percentage of your income moving forward. But in reality, so many things are very local when it comes to inflation or deflation and understanding which things are going up, which things are going more than inflation, which things are going, are suffering deflation or growing, but at less than average inflation that if you're again wages and, and purchasing power are trying to maintain, there are trying to understand some of the impacts, like why, are certain things going up faster than others? And why are certain things going slower than others? Yeah. And, you know, the, the big inflation story has been those things we, we've mentioned that have gone up above inflation, housing and education and healthcare. But, you know, I think the underlying backstory is there's been a lot of things that have increased in price less than the less than CPI or have even decreased in price, you know, less than CPI being like the car example. But again, mm -hmm. in there, you're actually getting more car than you used to get before. Yep. And in the deflation example, of, for example, the TVs and computers and stuff like that, it's really the prices have gone down well below CPI in actual real dollar terms, things are much cheaper. And 
I, I think underlying that backstory is the fact that a lot of consumer goods that used to be a big slice of the household spending are less now than they used to be. And, you know, frankly, that's a great thing. Right? These, as we mentioned, have been largely driven by productivity increases and technological advancements. And it, it's it's something I, I think that um, should be kind of celebrated because those falling prices are kind of good things for everyone. Now that there is a, a there's a little gray there to think about, but you know, I, I don't want to take away from the the key point is those falling prices for a lot of things that we spend our money on are, are cheaper today than they used to be. Yeah. That's, I think that's kind of the point of, of our conversation today is yes, inflation was high in 2021 but the reason we notice it is because so many other things have been falling for so long but we haven't noticed it It, and this is kind of us like looking back and appreciating how deflation has improved lives through improved technology anything's more affordable but it takes this like big stat or big shock to the system to kind of really look back and see oh we've we've had it so good for so long we can appreciate that we don't need to like automatically assume oh we have to go back to what was normal it's like well no actually if we look back longer we were in a pretty good period when it came to inflation and deflation Yeah. Like, for example, if you take out those last two years of rising car prices, we we know car prices have been pretty crazy for 2021 and 2022, right? That that is, like you said earlier, that has more supply chain market, uh, supply and demand market effects of companies shut down production because they thought no one was going to buy anything in 2020. Yeah. so So if you actually back that out, the price of a used car change from 2000 to 2020 still 20 years but just taking out the last two years it's about 0.1 or 0.2 percent a year that two hundred thousand dollar car or sorry twenty thousand dollar car in the year 2000 in 2020 would have cost like two thousand six hundred bucks you know new car in 2020 yeah so it's really the the dislocation in the last two years that have driven um, the perceived inflation in the price of cars. So in reality, a- another thing to understand is, uh, we, we kind of touched on this in that inflation episode, is that inflation a transitory thing because of dislocation in supply chains? Or is a, se- a secular change in how the automobile market works in terms of pricing of its goods? And I, I have a feeling it's more of the former than the latter. Okay, do you mind explaining that a little bit more, the, the transitory versus secular? So what we saw last year and over the last two years is that automakers decided to curtail production leading into the pandemic, meaning they said, okay, I'm going to produce less cars than normal because we're entering all of this uncertainty. And the last thing people are going to care about is buying a new car instead of producing, you know, five million cars i'm going to produce 4.5 million i i 
guessing there's also a little bit of a, okay, we don't need as many employees in factories and public health reasons to also keep them safe. And so it's the kind of combination of the two things. We've both send our employees home for safety and we're guessing that no one will have money to buy cars. So we'll stop production for the same reason. Right. And, and, you know, I I remember this distinctly when I was behind gas, like towards the beginning of the pandemic. And this is laughable now, but I I think I remember seeing, oh, it was something silly, like a dollar 60 or a dollar 70 or something for a gallon, something like that. I think I even like took a picture, you know, I, I, sh- I showed it to my wife saying, this is the cheapest we're ever going to pay for cash <laughs> in our whole life. <laughs> but yeah, there was a period nobody was driving. And um, I, re- I remember there was like a week over the pandemic where the futures price of WTI, um, the, the oil future, mm-hmm. um, fell to like zero or something because you had all this oil at a port and nobody to take it. <laughs> they <laughs> wanted to charge money for the oil and, you know, just a dislocation, right. And de- supply and demand caused such a drastic change in the price of oil to drop back then. And now we're just seeing, what are we seeing today? We're seeing a disruption by, you know, an oil producing nation in Russia leading to ripples in the economy such that the global price of oil has increased by what, I don't know, what minute is it now? So (laughs) hitting a march, we had a 20%, a 20 cent increase from the gas that my wife filled in the beginning of the day. By the time we drove home, um, you know, after a movie on the weekend, it it rose 20 cents, but we're well above $4 now for, for the historical record. So, I think about the, like the traffic um, here in the Bay Area, tr- especially in 2020, like just traffic just fell apart. Right? Like it was what used to be really bad commutes were just empty freeways. Um, I'm in Foster City and it's at the intersection of Highway 101 and 92, which is the San Mateo Bridge to get to the East Bay. And so this connection, like cars coming on the 101 both directions trying to get on the 92 going east across the bay always really bad traffic and so sometimes uh people will get off of 101 drive through foster city and then get back on the bridge and just try like kind of bypass the interchange and so foster city actually uh created a law saying no left turns from these main thoroughfares from like 3 to 7 p.m. or 5 to 7 p.m. Basically trying to trying to prevent people from just cutting through Foster City. and But as uh, residents would be inconvenient slightly, but they could go around and they're like, if there's fewer cars, then it would save them time anyways. But the program was went into effect, I want to say like end of 2019, beginning of 2020. And like five months later, they're like, oh, traffic has dropped so much that we've rescinded that program until traffic is back to normal. And that, that program, like there's still signs up there that are like are temporary signs saying no left turns during these hours, but this program has been rescinded until traffic resumes to normal. And it's just, that was the, the, the very local specific example of, 
like usage of streets was increasing dramatically penalizing local citizens they passed a law to help them and the law became useless just months later right so we had a lot of disruption right we had a lot of supply chain issues For, for example with the cars again one of the big things is demand for microchips has gone up considerably in GPUs. And, you know, part of the, some of the stories or headlines that people may have read is there's parking lots full of brand new vehicles, full of, you know, thousands of cars just sitting there and they're missing a microchip. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you have everybody else who didn't buy their car last year or the year before saying, I want mine yesterday. (laughs) So I I do think it's transitory. I I think the long-term trend is innovation and technology reducing prices and, or, or leading to deflation in other real or nominal terms. So if you had to, Yes. Uh, what? So we've talked about kind of college and housing, and how inflation exceeding CPI can't be sustainable for an, an entirely a, a next generation. Um, technology will likely continue to improve. Uh, there might be some still oil dependence over the next generation maybe we get improvements in energy producing technologies and cleaner energies i'm i'm trying to think what could what else could be impacted over a decade generation like that of um of either, either inflation or deflation and the, the reason I bring this up is I, I have seen comments and mostly kind of snarky comments about um, Biden pushing people to go back to offices because he's being pushed by real estate lobby that there are many, many skyscrapers in all these urban cities that are still sitting empty because the knowledge workers who sat in these offices are able to do pretty much their entire job from home now. And so there's this something is going to happen with big skyscraper office buildings. I I don't know how it's going to play out, but I'm curious, like, do you have any other guesses of what could be stuff like I don't say suffering, but like impacted by either a non average inflation or deflation, something specific. And again, not gonna hold you to this, but my, 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 my guess is that commercial real estate will go down or be repurposed into residential or something like that. That's going to affect housing prices somehow in large urban cities. Yeah. So, okay. So crystal ball time, I guess. Um, Obviously, 
I have no idea what's going to happen in the future. But if, if I could surmise for a bit, I, I think I, I'd continue the trends we've been seeing. So at this point, the cost of computing power is close to nothing. Like, you know, they're free almost. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can buy like a tablet for like 70, 80 bucks. If you wanted to, you could buy a smartphone for like 50 bucks. And it gives you access to all the information on the planet for close to nothing. So, you know, I'd say like the marginal cost of information is close to nothing at this point. And, you know, just kind of continuing that trend, I see it seeping over towards all these other industries in similar fashion, because I I think industries that can benefit from technology and innovation will see similar trends. So the, the big one that's going on right now is energy. You know, this is something I mentioned to my, you know, MBA professor 15 years ago. I, I said the marginal cost of energy is going to be zero, and just like how we've seen for information and technology. And, you know, the, the writing was already on the wall then, but it's even more clear now. For example, in the late 70s, the cost of solar was $77 per watt. And that same cost today, look, looking at this chart, I don't know when this was written, but I have to make sure I get the, the year right, at least. Uh, who knows? It, it says today. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. It can't be <laughs> that old. Uh, 2016. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you put it in the show notes. This can't be that old. <laughs> Not well, actually here. Just a quick note. This can't be that old. Okay, it is old, actually. It's um, 2017, so it is, it is a bit oh, that, old. That's not that old. <laughs> but it, you can imagine what it is today. So anyway, yeah. the, the price in 2017 is $0.64 cents per watt. That's a decline of 99.2%. And it's gone exponentially down from there in the last six years. Absolutely. Definitely by half, if not more. So... You know, with that trend, the price of energy in general through renewables, I I think, is on its way down. And again, you kind of continue this with uh, technology, innovation and automation. I think that spills over into all these other areas like transportation. Right. I I think it really puts uh, a damper on real estate if a few things end up happening that we're already seeing the writing on the wall for one is we're seeing the automation with, you know, just driverless vehicles. We're seeing mm. the working from home. We're seeing the ability for, you know, cars to get around with electric and hydrogen and things like that. At the end of the day, yeah. Do you need to live in a big city? You could live in the suburbs, do your work, and then set your car in autopilot on, you know, Friday afternoon to show up at the club, you know, with you in the back seat <laughs> and drive you home at night. When it, so you know, when the this actually over. reminds me of our conversation about driverless cars and Airbnb and the, I think there's gonna be something like the, you don't need to pay either personal or employer to to pay for two spaces per person because for a long time it was you have your living space and then you have your working space and 
they're only used half the day each, roughly, uh, or a third of the day for one and two-thirds of the day for the other. It was like, but no one used your working space while you're at home, and no one used your home space while you're at work. And so, like, each person, this is like kind of among knowledge workers, but I guess there's probably some adaptation to more manual workers. But there's like, for society has been paying two spaces per person for 50 years, longer. And I, I could see there's going to be some kind of optimization there. Yeah, it's like it's like you talked about like the, uh, the the driverless cars of like most of the time the car sits in your driveway or in your garage not being used. There's some kind of optimization of use there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you know I think what's on the chopping block is the big three that we mentioned with inflation: the housing, college, and the healthcare. So the, the housing, you know, as you mentioned, we're double capacity right now. Or imagine what happens when, you know, that, that double capacity can run just as effectively at one and a half capacity. And at the same time, populations aren't necessarily increasing at the rate they used to. In fact, the global trend might be lower populations. I don't, but I don't think we're a generation, generation away from there. Like, uh, um, developed countries have still like a population of like two two to two point one ch children per female something like that so it's just a replacement rate basically but there's enough other populations around the world that are still above three to five so we would need to see like a massive change across the entire world and i think that's still there's still enough immigration from those higher population growth countries to developed countries. So, so I do think it will get there eventually, but that feels farther away. So I, I think, for example, some countries that have been seeing the strain are, for example, like Japan, right? The, the story there is you have more older, more diapers going to older people than younger people. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, in developed countries, yeah, the, the growth rate in the population has, hasn't necessarily been going down, but it has been getting much lower. For example, yeah. um, like 50 years ago, the growth rate, or sorry, uh, um, in the 50s and 60s, the growth rate was like one and a half to 2%. And now it's closer to like half a percent. I, yeah, and I, I think a lot of, was that, did you say for that, was that for the US? That's for or the just US. Like, so yeah, I think I think there's a big difference between like internal replacement versus immigration, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so I think that population could still grow with uh, kind of more lax immigration policies that let more people move here. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, I think that the uh, children per female in the U.S. is trending down. Right. And, you know, the, the notion is, for example, if your growth rate is one, one and a half percent versus half a percent, well, you need to build that many more homes and that much more infrastructure and so on, you know, three times more quickly than you do today, as you did in the yeah. 50s. And that 
also provides an upward increase in pressure on prices because again, same supply, but increasing demand because more people leads to prices increasing for certain things um, that are less elastic. So, uh, you know, I think that there there is a good understanding that housing, given many of these things, it, it's kind of like not each one will be the silver bullet, but in in combined, I think that'll start to put a good amount of pressure on prices in real estate for the next generation. Again, crystal ball here. I'm not entirely sure. You know, the, so, the other two. Yep. Okay, go ahead. I, was, I, have, I have a counter, but I'll let you finish. So housing... Well, it, something's gonna something's gonna happen and i my current guess is more current commercial space becomes something more like dual use space yeah, instead yeah. of two 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 x square feet per person we'll get down to like one and a half x square feet per person combined home and work right yeah and you know, there's a lot of technology and innovation that's pouring into the housing phase space. You know, be, before you had the mobile homes, but the new version of that is known as like prefab. You know, you build yeah. most eighty percent of the homes in factories and do the last twenty percent on the job site. So there's reasons to believe that the innovation and technological improvements that we've seen in other sectors could also help maybe not increase prices as much as they used to, but maybe bring it down in line with CPI or maybe okay. slightly less than CPI. Yeah. I can see that. So, yeah, so, so that's housing. But I, I think the other two, college and, or, you know, higher education and healthcare also are ample space for seeing similar types of changes through innovation and technology. I think, you know, that those numbers will also start to, to come down over time. So I'm going to have to disagree on one and more disagree on the other. I, I think for education, so there's a difference I think between education, just broad catch-all, because uh, I do think what you said, like things like Khan's Academy and people learning things via YouTube, I think education cost will come down dramatically and, and marginal cost will go to zero. Higher education and colleges, I think that we've already seen that they're following the paths of cars where they're trying to provide more values, more amenities uh, for the same cost. And I'm not, I don't want to go too deep in the conversation today, um, about like what is a dorm and a gym and a sports team worth for the college experience. But I, I do think that while just the value of the education part will go down, I think there's enough other benefits that people will value from college that those aren't as likely to be coming down as much that, that I think that any reductions in the benefit of like marginal cost of education coming down will be offset by other increases in value. Um, maybe we see some colleges closing if they can't provide those really high values, but 
I'm going to guess there's enough just there's enough people who will buy the 85 inch TV and still pay for the kid to go to college. I think it's the idealist in me that, that, that kind of says, if we can see these innovations in all these other areas, why not this one area as well, where in real terms, even though like the, the car example, you got a better car than you ever would today than, you know, versus 20 years ago, but the price is only marginally higher. And yeah. Yeah, I think like things like code, uh, coding boot camps and, other things that will genuinely improve people's lives, I think those will those will make a huge difference in society as a whole. And so, like maybe if we are like comparing the cost of a coding boot camp to a community college to four years at a use at a university, then like we start to like average it out weirder, unless some kind of like weighted average. Maybe that idea brings it down, but I don't think the costs of Stanford or Harvard is coming down anytime soon. Yeah, maybe not. I, I mean, you know, to those examples, they do have all their courses online for free, but you won't get the paper. Um, so the, the education... that's, that's actually a perfect example. Yes, it's it's the um, you can get the Stanford education for free, but if you want to go to Stanford, your parents are going to pay a lot of money for it. Right. So, so in, again, the, the, the idealism in me says a couple of things. I, I feel like there's a there's a dislocation in um, the way prices work and in price discovery when it comes to colleges, similar to how there is in healthcare. Mm. Right. When you're okay. going through a healthcare situation and you're in an ambulance and uh, you're concussed, the last thing you're going to do is shop around. Yeah. And, you know, similar with colleges, the notion is, I feel like there hasn't been enough emphasis on the value that colleges provide for what you get. And I I feel like that's open for markets to come in and make things better. I I don't know if we mentioned this before, but like, for example, Google is offering a program where for a nominal amount you can get a coding education similar to a four-year programming degree. Uh, that that I can see. So 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 something like the idea of asking seventeen-year-olds to sign on one hundred and twenty thousand dollars worth of student loan debt to get a degree that does not provide a job or career that can effectively pay that off in the first few years. It takes. 10, 15, 20 years. I, that I agree. There's something there that is broken and is right to be fixed. Right. So that yeah. like that, that when you say price discovery, that's what I think of is the 17 year old not being able to understand the implications of signing on to that much student loan debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the biggest financial decision somebody will ever make right at, at 17. It, it's, it's, Almost crazy how to understand that that's a status quo. Yeah, yeah. So that so that I agree with. Um, and, and I when, yep. go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is, when it comes to education, my under, my feeling is okay. the The sole purpose is to communicate information from you know one party to another, and if we can come up with the best way possible to communicate that information and replicate it 
the marginal cost of doing that should be close to nothing. For example, I don't know if we need every single Ivy League professor to go through the same intro to, you know, mathematics <laughs> slides in every single university, especially when every single Ivy League professor is not the best at communicating how to do intro to calculus. But there's somebody in the U.S. who is the best at that, and they can, you know, set it up once and then everybody can learn from it. You so know, the, the other. Yep. I, I've I've seen some comments like it's actually especially in the like the last two years because a uh, zoom has forced teachers to teach or sorry p- pandemic has forced teachers to teach via zoom so there's some teachers who have just absolutely thrived they have figured out how to make presentations better they can make them more interactive they can bring in live videos and examples that they that they can it's no longer reading a book uh, to learn the material. They actually are creating an engaging lesson plan that is incredibly powerful. And this is kind of guessing, like I'm trying to apply market economics to, to, to this idea. It's like, if that person can be that engaging and teach a thousand or 10,000 students, and whether it's via like ads or some other kind of program, like markets should reward that teacher, that superstar, the same way they would reward a pop star who can get a hundred thousand people to come watch them live, or a professional athlete who can get a billion people people to watch them on TV. Like, like there's that's that's why entertainers and athletes make so much money is because there's so many people who will pay a small amount to watch them. And I I think that teachers could get to that level where now it's going to be, there's going to be some teacher, like you said, who's just the best intro to calculus who has these amazing examples, amazing charts and uh, great visuals and this lesson from Newton, like, and market economics could reward that person at a scale that our current education system cannot. There's no way you could pay any single teacher a million dollars per year. But if that teacher can teach a million kids at the cost of a dollar per kid or a hundred thousand kids, the cost of $10 per kid, something like that, then that teacher could be worth a million dollars per year. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the the third pillar of all this for education, in my mind, is the notion that there's two things that come with education. One is transferring knowledge, but also understanding that not everybody receives knowledge the same way as everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yet, uh, you know, the standard university option is like a one size fits all type of thing. You go to lecture, you do your quizzes, you do your labs, you do your assignments, you do your presentations and, you know, the, and you take your, your finals, but you know, some people excel in that and some people don't, but learning how to learn is the biggest thing about education that should probably be the focus of education, but I I don't think it necessarily is. So it, it's another area in my mind that that's ripe for inefficiencies that, that could 
definitely drive down the cost. If, if we focused on teaching people how to learn based upon how they best learn, and then building on that throughout their educational lives, I think it would be far more efficient than what we're doing today. So, okay, I, I wanna kind of wrap up because I agree there's, there's housing, lots of opportunity for improvement. Education, uh, some, but there's still gonna be universities that keep raising costs. For healthcare, this one is like both a combination of me just not being optimistic enough and like looking at uh, all the entrenched lobbyists and, and interests, but also looking at the technology side of people are living longer because healthcare has gotten significantly better. And I think that those technology improvements on the healthcare side are going to keep coming in part because uh, the money is there, that, that costs keep going. And so this will support kind of greater R&D. But this is one where I, I can see maybe some of the primary care work coming down, but I also don't. I don't see how a a one to many scale would work, and but a technology but technology keeps improving, and so as we get more cures and more treatments for more diseases and disorders, that one I don't see prices coming down in the next generation. Like it maybe the government starts paying for it. And that just becomes the big social safety net for our country of, yes, we want everyone to be healthy. And so we devote this much to health. But as people live longer, I think that, and technology improves, I think healthcare costs are going to keep going up. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the flip view on that again, with my idealist hat on. Whether or not we'll actually get there, I don't know. But I, I I, see no reason why we can't besides us shooting our own selves in the foot, which we like to do. But so who knows? <laughs> but... Which, which is part of my argument. I'll say we is. do a really good job at that. You know, you know the, the whole point is, if, if we don't, some other country will. And they already are, right? So yeah. it, either way, we'll just fall behind and, you know, we'll... we'll Say hello to our international overlords and maybe give them all our money, which whichever we prefer. But anyway, so yeah, with the healthcare, yeah, thing one, there's so much inefficiency and bureaucracy. We've already looked at this from many different angles on a specific episode, but the key points were we spend almost double for the same amount of healthcare, yet have worse outcomes than other developed nations. So it has far less to do with you know us living longer because we don't. We, we spend more, but we live less longer. But at the same time, I agree that all of these innovations do end up costing more. But I, I put it in the eyes of like the car analogy. You're going to get more, but there's going to be innovations that help also keep prices down. Even though prices may go up in real terms, you're living longer and you're healthier. So th those are real tangible benefits. Now, I, I think some of the changes that we'll likely see 
is again, technology and innovation. Some things that we're even seeing today, I've, I've put into practice with myself. Like I, I do leverage that Teladoc a lot more than I used to. In fact, um, I'm with a service now that not only is your primary care physician on there, but you can be hooked up with specialists as well. So preemptively, I'm you know working with our cardiologist on working through different things. And this is stuff I wouldn't even consider doing with my primary care physician. And the notion there is, you know, same issue. We, we do the, the thing over video. They order labs. I go get the labs done. They review, we discuss, and we iterate. And it's something that where if somebody's not doing that today because they know the second they skip, skip into a doctor's office, they're going to leave with a few hundred dollars hanging over their head and random bills that surface over the next 36 to 48 months (laughs) just because they they decided to exercise their ability to use their insurance, right? These are insured people. I think there's plenty of room for for advancement that, that if we choose to capitalize on it, maybe market forces will help us along the way. You mentioned like, over the last few months, I've gotten a dozen explanation of benefits saying all the COVID tests that we've been getting over the last few years, uh, the insurance company paid this much and make sure you need to pay this much when you uh, receive the bill. And I like, I, my first day, what? I, every COVID test is supposed to be free. And so eventually, um, Virus Geeks, who does the testing here at the school, sent out an email to everyone who's participated. Like, when you receive this explanation of benefits, you will not be charged for the test. Like they get some billing from the insurance company, but they uh, get the rest from the government so that they're, they're not going to charge individuals, but it's like just the system in place where the insurance company is still sending the explanation of benefits uh, that says I owe money for dozens upon dozens of different COVID tests across me the five of us in my family it it was like it raised my heart pressure my blood pressure my heart rate like increased my stress like i was angry (laughs) but there's just another part of the system right yeah (sighs) okay i think i need to go take a walk now (laughs) i'm getting angry all over again that that wasn't the point of this episode. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I asked the big well, question of like trying to make yeah. predictions and well so the the high level theme though is deflation is I think from technology and innovation is supposed to be good and hopefully we'll all stand to benefit it is hopefully what we'll be out of So of how can we and this might put it in the wrong place to add it at the very end, but like technology is just like catch all term for improvements in efficiency it doesn't it doesn't necessarily apply to just um software or uh just uh kind of computer hardware something like that it, it's an economic term for uh, like the cotton gin was considered technology because it could de-seed more cotton at a faster rate than previously and that's just like so it's just this in general idea of a new invention improves efficiency in mm-hmm. anything and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay. We tried to make it a short one. Ended up being one of our longer ones. 
<laughs> well, I, I think we're good then. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I enjoyed the conversation. It, it it did get me going a little more than I expected. I expected it to be a little, little dry today, but uh, I think you and I both got into it. So this is, this is a fun one. Right. Well, well, if anybody has any examples in their lives that, that they like to share that perhaps we've overlooked, we, we'd love to hear from you. And, you know, th- thanks, everybody, for listening. If you're enjoying these conversations, do like, subscribe, and, and share them. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. We appreciate you joining us today for this episode of the Mind Money Spectrum podcast. Be sure to visit mindmoneyspectrum.com to access the entire library of episodes. Remember, it's not black and white, but the wide spectrum of gray area where you get to pursue the freedoms you want in life. Opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical as no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested in directly. Have a nice day.